Let's make today the day you get one step closer to becoming the parent you've always wanted to be and the parent your children deserve. Welcome to Powerful Parenting for Today's Kids. I am your host, Erin Taylor, and I have wanted to help parents and children literally since I was 11 years old. I created this podcast to help you make a stronger, healthier, deeper connection to your child, to understand the inevitable challenges a little better, and learn some new ways to navigate them when they occur. Thank you for spending some time with me. Now let's get this show started. Hello and welcome back to the show. Today is episode 630 and I am really excited to chat with my new friend, Chris Tompkins. Chris is a teacher, a TEDx speaker, a spiritual life coach, an LGBTQ inner advocate based in Los Angeles, California. More importantly, he's an uncle of five. Chris believes all kids are the future and teaches social emotional learning throughout Southern California. Welcome, Chris. It's great to yeah. have you here today. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me, Aaron. So you just wrote, or recently wrote, I should say, a very, very cool book, which I think is really a beautiful gift to the world. Uh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Raising LGBTQ allies. It's it's been a a few years journey, <laughs> multiple years. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it was released this uh, past summer, May fourteenth. Um, so I'm really excited to be talking about it and having conversations and sharing it, sharing my experiences with other people. Super. So can you tell me? Let's talk about the book for a minute. Can you tell me where the inspiration for writing this came from? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I love that question because it, it's interesting because I think that when you set out to do something, you kind of have this idea of like what the <laughs> reason was. Um, but really, it came from it's kind of a combination of my own experiences of being an uncle, having nieces and nephews, um, being an LGBTQ advocate and understanding that, you know, once I became an uncle, that looked different. Um, and, and also teaching social emotional learning for the past six years, you know, and really understanding that depending on where I was teaching the curriculum, I would have to rewrite it for this particular population. And so for instance, the reason I, I started teaching social emotional learning was because of my own experience as an LGBTQ youth, not getting maybe the, the, the necessary care that I really needed socially and emotionally. And so I remember first reading, I don't know if you've ever heard of Louise Hay. Um, okay. So I remember reading her book, You Can Heal Your Life. And I remember towards the very back of the book, you I, I was flipping through, I was at a library and I remember flipping through and there's a section where she was talking about gay men specifically. And I remember reading it thinking that what she was talking about, because I had never heard of her prior. And I felt like the con, like what she was saying was current today. But I remember the book looked old. It was a used copy. And I was like, that doesn't make sense. Like it looks really old, but like what she's talking about is, is like right now, um, current. So I remember flipping to the front of the book and it said 1983. And I, I remember having this like rush of awareness of, oh my gosh, if I could bring, help bring these principles 
to LGBTQ youth, then maybe it could prevent some of the things that she's writing about that are still happening today around self-love, around you know, acceptance and purpose and healing and forgiveness and all of those things. And so that's how I started teaching social emotional learning, specifically working at the LGBT center, the homeless youth shelter, a lot of LGBTQ specific places here in Los Angeles. But the curriculum was written in a very heteronormative way. And so I would find that if I was teaching at a high school, as an example, I was teaching kind of just the general curriculum because I was with an organization. And so then if I was going to the LGBT center, then I would need to rewrite it for that particular population. And, and, and so I thought, this, this, is a very, this is an example of what I talk about in the book of heteronormativity and how pervasive it is. And so um, the book is really a, a combination of my experience teaching social emotional learning. And so the book was written through a social emotional framework wanting to help the LGBTQ youth kind of with these principles um, with, with parents and caregivers and people who work with youth to understand that, you know, there's, there are certain things that we really have to talk about more than just homophobia, more than just kind of the blatant obvious things. It's more nuanced than that. Mm -hmm. That is such a good point. Can you give me an example of, like you, you said that you had to keep rewriting the curriculum based on who you were talking to and you realized yeah. that wasn't really the right way to go about it. Yeah. Can you give me an example that might come to, to the top of your head of something that was in this curriculum? And then you said, wait, I have to adjust the wording for this group of kids that I'm working yeah. with. Yeah. So um, the curriculum is, so one of the classes that we would teach was called I am authentic. And so it was all about, because each class, each each class was, you know, based on kind of a specific topic that we were wanting to help, you know, address. And so this particular class, I am authentic. We would use um, it was experiential. <clears throat> excuse me. And so we would have the youth stand up and do exercises based on specific characters. And the idea was that we were helping them kind of understand different roles that there are in high school. You know, no matter you know what age you are, there are kind of certain cliques or groups. And so the roles were these very kind of basic boy, girl, mm. cheerleader, football player. Um, and, and that did not fit when I would go to the LGBTQ center here in Los Angeles and at the homeless youth shelter, it, those, if I was to ask the students to stand up and, and to assume that role, that would almost be kind of like offensive that I was trying to put them in a box that they did not, identify with. Yeah, it didn't and mean so anything to them. It didn't mean anything to them because that wasn't their experience. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so then I would rewrite characters that they could see themselves represented. Mm -hmm. And and the irony of the class is called I am authentic. And so it was right. really about it was really about, you know, helping us realize that there are more ways of being in the world and we really have to look on we especially as teachers we really have to uncover our blind spots because there are our students in our classrooms and parents and caregivers there are children in our families that we may be missing mm -hmm. misattuning to mm -hmm. because we're not considering the possibility mm -hmm. Absolutely. That they could be, you know, LGBTQ. And so that's really kind of the, the, the hope with, with my book. That's really beautiful. I work with a fair number of parents who 
tell me that they have discovered that their child is questioning their sexuality or their gender identity or their orientation or all these different things. And, you know, some are having an easier time working through that and some have a more difficult time. But I think to have this conversation about that, that helps parents and aunts and uncles and teachers and other people who love children to really help them to, to embrace all the different possibilities that a child might be or might discover they are. So it's really beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. You know, I think that in my own experience, you know, I I mentioned I'm an uncle and I'm really, that's one of my, I I love being an uncle and, and just in my own experience of, you know, I, I I just, you know, I'm really, and I think one of my, gifts, if you will, is that I, 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 I'm a, I observe and I'm really, I notice. And, and I think one of the things with my book is that I really centered children's experiences. And so this for me was a book about from a, from a kid's perspective, you know, and, and, and from my own experience of being that little boy who, who felt completely missed and, and, and not seen. And so this book for me is like, almost like a way that I'm like, back to my little kid self of these are the things that I would have really liked. And these are the things that I would have really appreciated. And one of the things that I've noticed, even just in my own with my nieces and nephews is that it's so easy for us to want to be what our parents see us as. And, and I, I just, I see it with my own nieces and nephews. And, and I know that my, my brother and sister, and I know that my family members are, are doing the best that they can and they want to maybe do things differently than, than what their parents did when they were kids. And, and I know that they mean well, and it's not, but it's, and, and we can sometimes still put some pressure on our kids because we just want to see them experience things maybe that we didn't experience. Um, and, but I, I, I notice it that, you know, kids are, they just want to, they want to do what their parents want them to do and so that can feel like not even not even words like those aren't words that Mm -mm. you know my brother or sister have ever said to their kids Mm -hmm. it's just more of this feeling it's more of this that the glimmer in the parent's eye when they see the child doing something but if the child's doing something because they see the glimmer in the parent's eye when they do that thing Mm -hmm. they're gonna they're gonna lean more towards that yes and so this for me is about helping parents and caregivers. And like you said, anyone who, who works with kids or loves kids have that glimmer in their eye, even if it's the child's doing something that they didn't anticipate. Mm-hmm. That's such a good point. It sounds like your nieces and nephews really shook something up inside of you to spur you to, I don't know, see something different, see the world in a different way. Can yeah. you, do you know exactly what happens when, when you became an uncle? Yeah, I love that question. So that's also another really big reason that I wrote the book is because, um, and I write about this in the book, I talk about it is that um, I was in Arizona. So I live in Los Angeles, I'm from Arizona. And I was in Arizona giving a workshop at a conference, the Arizona Equality and Justice Conference, which is an LGBTQ specific conference. And, you know, it's just interesting. My family knew that I was going to this conference, I was giving this workshop. And the irony is this is how pervasive 
kind of these more nuanced, like I, I mentioned heteronormativity a lot. Um, cause I think that that's for a lot of your listeners, maybe a newer term. Um, mm-hmm. and it's, it, you know, cause most of the time when we think of, you know, raising LGBTQ allies, like preventing homophobia or transphobia, like those are more words that I think people are familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually think that sometimes those words can be more, um, they can distract us because when I hear the word homophobia or transphobia, and I write about this in the book, it's not a phobia. It's not, it's not that I act like a phobia is like a diagnosable condition where you have a bodily, like it's a somatic Mm -hmm. experience. And so it's not that I have a somatic fear experience when I, you know, have a, maybe my child's questioning their identity. It's that we have to really pierce through the layers of heteronormativity and heterosexism and the societal messages that are dominant in our culture that children have to kind of like, it's like, it's like a plant. It's like a seed growing underneath a slab of concrete Mm -hmm. and, and, and grass can grow through, Mm -hmm. but it's really, it may take time. It may take time Mm -hmm. for the concrete to break. And so this is a way to kind of remove that concrete slab of, of, and that's what heteronormativity feels like for um, a child who is LGBTQ, you know, constantly going through their day and just this almost like, I call it like humidity. It's like this kind of like thickness in the air mm-hmm. that you that's can't really explanation see. or description. Yeah, you, you can't see it, but you feel it. Mm-hmm. And so for my family, you, you asked about my, you know, what changed, you know, being an aunt and uncle. So I was at this conference and afterwards my mom had a big um, family function. And so one of my childhood friends who's female was over and my nephew, she was sitting next to me and my nephew who was six at the time asked if she was my girlfriend. And I remember in that moment, just noticing everyone's faces and in my mm-hmm. family because they knew, I mean, I've been out were, you know, oh, his whole life, yeah, but it was yeah. more, it was more like, it was, it was, they, they were uncomfortable. Right. Um, how do we, how do we answer this? How do we yeah, deal with this? Yeah. Yeah. And so then later that kind of propelled me on a path of talking to my family members, extended family members, people who I knew had kids. And most of the conversations were like, yeah, I thought about it. I just don't know what to say or, um, my, my sister, I asked her, you know, and, and I, cause I just assumed that they had, cause I live out of state and I've never had a relationship. So I've not brought a partner home. And so I just kind of thought that they maybe, I, I just, I, I, that's also an example of my own, it, of how heteronormativity affects me myself mm-hmm. as a gay man. And so that's what I meant by that really changed my idea of what it means to be an uncle and what role I play in their lives, Mm -hmm. you know, sitting on the sidelines and just expecting certain things, not just about my identity as a gay man, but just in general, you know, what, what things am I doing proactively to help contribute to their life? Mm -hmm. So that's what that was. And I do think that children are our future. I mean, that's just not a, a catchphrase. It's actually the truth. And if we can raise children who are wise and insightful and compassionate and caring and inclusive, Mm. then we're going to help to create a better world into the future. And what better gift can we give to ourselves, to each other, to every human on the planet? 
Yes, I, I really agree with that. I, I say that all the time whenever I teach a class. I'm like, you're the future. And I mean that literally. Because yeah. <laughs> um, it's not just a catchphrase. It's like actually the truth. <laughs> it really, really is. I was, in a, I was having a conversation with a friend recently, and we were talking about heteronormativity. Mm. And we were talking about like when, when kids grow up, the classic, you know, your Prince Charming is going to come, but you say that to a girl or we're going to play house. Who wants to be the mom? Who wants to be the dad? It's just, it's, it's just so subtle. And so it's automatic. So it's so automatic. And it's been that way for so many generations that you didn't even realize until you start having conversations like we're having now, you don't even realize, you know, the girl gets the pink outfit, the boy gets the blue outfit and you know, the, the girl gets the dolls, the boy gets the trucks. It's, it's so ingrained in in every layer of the way we raise our kids or have historically raised our kids. Yeah. Hopefully it will, unwind some of that moving forward but yeah it's so ingrained that until you take a minute and really think about it or read a book like yours or have this kind of a conversation you don't even realize how pervasive it is it's yes it's, it's unbelievable when you start really looking at the layers yeah 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 i, I appreciate you saying that because it's true and i think that you know maybe for your listeners an exercise because it, it's more than just inside the home and how we raise our kids. It's, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, <clears throat> excuse me. It's when I go to the grocery store the other day and I'm standing in line and just, you know, one of the things with the book, I broke it up and in, intentionally, I broke it up into three sections, awareness, willingness, oh, and then change. And I really believe that in order to create the change, we have to have awareness. And mm-hmm. so these conversations, and it's not that, you know, we're, Parents are like maliciously, some parents are maliciously like, I'm going to raise my kids heteronormatively, you know? No, 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 no. It's just, we all come, that's what the subtitle of my book. Yeah. The subtitle of my book is changing the messages from the playground because messages from the playground are a through line throughout my book that I talk about. I describe the subconscious beliefs that we, that we literally take in. It's kind of like pollen that just it's in the air. We don't even know it's there. Let me know it's there. And so an exercise would be maybe, you know, today, if you're, whenever you're listening to this episode, if you just maybe think I'm going to go about my day today and I'm just going to pick up consciously, I'm aware of the heteronormativity of messages that maybe I'm going to start to notice Mm -hmm. and see what, see what that brings for you. And I know that, you know, when I go about my day, like, like I mentioned the other day, I was at the, you know, standing in line at the the grocery store and there was an older man talking to a younger woman and he was like, Oh, so do you have a, you have a boyfriend? And, and that's such an innocent question. And I completely understand, but those are the questions that I used to get when I was gay and still in the closet that, that literally caused me so much shame because I, because when someone would assume that I was straight, then it, it, it meant that I was supposed to be that way. Mm-hmm. And that's how it felt. And so I just think of <clears throat> one of the things with my book is I really think of, you know, I'm an adult, I'm staying at the grocery store and I hear that question. Like I, I have enough sense of self to know like that. Okay. That's a question. I think of kids like, what are the kids who are constantly hearing these questions? And so this is about kind of introducing another way, like similar to the curriculum that I mentioned that I would rewrite is like, 
do you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend? And, and that's what I started doing with my nieces and nephews is that, you know, I would start to introduce kind of expanded ways of asking my questions. Um, because with a question, the way that it's asked can, can almost, I mean, you know this, cause I'm sure you do a lot of interviews and so, I mean, you know, six, I think this is episode 630 yeah. something. So you've done yeah. a lot of interviews and so questions are really important. And so sometimes when and the way ask, you word them and the way you word them. And sometimes you, the way that you ask a question, it could almost feel judgmental or, or put pressure on the person or presuppose um, the answer. Sort yes, of. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And as I'm learning more about the LGBTQ community, uh, I have a family member who has really taught me this person is on the leading edge of it and has been, was an LGBTQ youth before it was mainstream as mainstream not that it's mainstream but as accepted as it is today even though it's we have a long way to go um and so this person has been opening my eyes for years Mm. and teaching me but as i've watched them grow and develop and evolve and figure out who they are and explore those different things they went through putting different ones of those lgbtq letters on them Mm. different labels Mm. and they thought they were this and then they thought they were that and now they currently think they're that and um, so as I learn more and more about all of these different topics I realize that um, it's it's even it's a first of all it's a constantly evolving thing I know new letters get added all the time which is why a lot of times we see a plus at the end of it because as people are, we're all humans and we're all evolving and we're all figuring out ourselves till the day we die. And so we might, like my family member, we might feel like we're this, but then time goes and we evolve and we realize more about ourselves and we realize that doesn't really seem to be in alignment. I don't feel aligned with that. I feel like this. And so um, this person went from feeling, um, attracted to women and then went through an evolution to feeling gender non-binary currently. So, you know, they went through a, an interesting metamorphosis where it wasn't just who am I attracted to? It was, who am I? Yeah. Who do I feel like I am? So it's been, I appreciate them so much for all they've taught me. Yeah. And I think it's just so interesting how, pervasive our gender norms are yeah and like even like you were you were saying even that question of do you have a boyfriend or do you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend even i even can see like a 3.0 version of that question which is do you like anyone yeah because what if what if the person they like isn't a boy or a girl or doesn't feel that way so um it's a constant evolution of of who who we are learning ourselves to be and who we're learning about our loved ones and how we can be really good ad, allies and advocates and just it's just as welcoming and as uh, inclusive and accepting as we can i think that's just the most important thing it is yeah yeah and 
we're gonna we're gonna stumble and so that's 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 always all, constantly. That, that's also one of the the purposes of the book is is to allow ourselves some grace because i think that in my own experience um after my nephew asked me that question i started giving workshops throughout los angeles and I, with you know a lot of professionals who work with kids and i found that a lot of people don't want to acknowledge that they have biases or they have blind spots because it means that especially you know, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a public kind of like a group setting and, and, and that could be, you know, bring some shame. It could bring mm -hmm. some, like, I'm a good person. I see myself as a good person. So I don't want to intentionally cause anyone harm. Right. I found though, that that really prevents us from having open and honest conversations. And this is really important. I think peace to remember is that being able to have open and honest conversations allow, that's where the growth happens. And so when we prevent ourselves from, making a mistake, that's where a lot of parents in my own experience avoid having the conversation because they don't want to make a mistake. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to give anyone out there listening permission, you know, to make a mistake because I also, one of the things I encourage is we're, we're, we're going to make ruptures, but where there's a rupture, there's an opportunity to repair. And the repair is really like what is strengthens the relationship. That's where intimacy is. And so, mm -hmm. you know, especially with kids, Oh my goodness, like how many ruptures, you know, with my mm. nieces and nephews or the kids in my class, you know, and that I work with. And so it's, it's about the rupture. And then we get to model to them what, what it's like to make a repair. Right. I will be, I'll, I'll volunteer myself as the, the first person to, uh, not the first person, but in our conversation, to be a person who will share my story with my family member. Um, of a person who made plenty of mistakes and fumbles and said wrong things when they first came out as thinking they were lesbian. I thought that first of all, I'm not surprised because of how I knew this person to be. And second of all, it's great. Wonderful. Congratulations. I'm glad you feel like you know who you are and celebrate it and, I'm behind you 100%. That part was not hard for me to wrap my head around at all. It was super easy. But then when years went by and the evolution continued, and then this person uh, announced that they were non-binary, that was much harder for me to wrap my head around. Because I... And, and I remember my family members saying a little bit before the announcement... You know, I'm trying to give it to you guys in doses because you can't possibly take it all in at once. And I remember thinking, doses, what are you talking about doses? Just, just spill it. Just tell, tell me who you are. I can handle it. It's fine. And then they came out with this announcement. And I remember thinking, good Lord, I don't know. I, I can't wrap my head around this. I don't even understand it. I don't understand it. And so it was a holiday weekend and I, I asked my family member to go to lunch with me and I said, okay, tell me, educate me, explain it. I don't understand it. I'm having a hard time understanding how you can be born as one gender and then feel like you're both or you're the other or you're neither. I, I don't understand it. Just, just help me. And they did the best they could to try to explain it, you know, and I think I have a better understanding of it now, or at least some concept of it more than I did then. But to, to switch the pronouns was the hardest thing 
Well, it was one of the most challenging things I think I've been asked to do. And it, I have no idea why. I, I can't even articulate why it was so hard. I mean, I kind of can, but it was so hard for me to, to have known this child literally since their birth and to have changed their diapers and seen the feminine architecture or structure or whatever. And, and to have called this person, she and her and all that stuff. And then now years later, having to say they and them, ah, uh, and I stumbled a gazillion times mm -hmm. and I kept trying and I kept saying she, uh, I mean, they and her, no, I mean them, you know, just constant. And it was, it was hard. I'm still not a hundred percent with it but I'm pretty good. And, um, it was frustrating. It was, I found myself as a person who really wants to be a, an ally and I love her, them. See, I just did it again. I love this person and I want to be an ally for, th for them as well as everyone. But I found myself at times thinking, Oh, I'm so frustrated by this. This is taking so much mental energy for me to constantly try to police my own thoughts and words. This is so annoying. And I will be very honest about that. But because I love that person so much, I love them so much that I just had to force myself to keep getting through the, that resistance that was coming up in me. Like, I don't want to change. Well, I don't, you know, I kept saying to myself, like arguing, I, I know, I, I know you don't want to change, but if you love them, you better because otherwise you're not accepting who they are. You have to change. So start practicing, mess up and catch yourself and get better at it. And yeah. that's kind of where I live in that space now, but it's, it's been a couple of year journey and it's even shocking for me because I feel like an open person who is very accepting and welcoming and, and inclusive. And that was a hard thing for me to kind of get my head around and, and like alter my own thinking and language. Yeah. 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 And you, you bring up a lot of points. And I think that one of the things that I really hope to, to do with, with the book is that it, it requires a lot of emotional bandwidth for a young Tons. person, for a young person to really educate family members about their change. And so my hope with this book is to really help parents and caregivers to educate themselves, because I really believe that we can only take others as far as we've gone ourselves. And so sometimes this is about us going and learning and, and working through our stuff so that we can create a space for the, the person to kind of just be who they are without necessarily needing to teach others who they are. And, and I, and I, I've kind of taken on this role, um, you know, because I think this is part of my purpose, you know, and I'm not saying that from like a, a martyr I'm here to, but I don't mind educating family calling. It, yeah. I, I don't mind like talking to my family. I don't mind doing the emotional labor of really educating them about, these kinds of particular topics. What I do hope though, is that this can help parents and caregivers do the work so that the kids that they're raising or teaching don't have to do that emotional labor. 
Cause it is labor intensive. And, oh, yes. and I've done, I've done enough work in my own life where I feel like I, I'm okay doing that. I've accepted that. Um, and so I hope that families who are listening, who are going through maybe some gender identity changes or sexual identity discovery, you know, the, the kids are discovering themselves that the parent is really kind of maybe, and I, you know, there are a lot of resources out there, a lot of places that you can go to as a parent or caregiver and ask questions and get support. PFLAG for anyone who's listening is has chapters all over the country and you can go and there's support groups. And so that allows you to kind of maybe be like a, a few steps like not ahead, but like a few, like you're, you're tracking along with the, the, the person. And so you're kind of giving them the space to really be who they are without having to kind of constantly, you know, be the educator or the, or the person who's giving you the information. Um, Cause I think that over time that could, that could be kind of, you know, especially for a kid, um, they have so many things going on in their life, you know, already. <laughs> so many things. Yeah, I look even now I look at my kids. Uh, I went to back to school night. This is totally off topic, but I went to the like the meet your teacher back to school night. They're my youngest two are in high school. And I went from class to class and each teacher told about, you know, they use Google Classroom, but then they have this other platform where there's an outline of this thing and that thing. And then this, the next teacher says, well, I use Google Classroom, but I have this other platform where there's a calendar. And the next teacher is like, I use Google Classroom, but we have these two other platforms that we use for this and that. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, they have to just to be able to function in school, they have to know how to use like eight different platforms yes. before they even get to doing their work. They just Bye. have to know how to find it and put it back. And so I think today's kids have a lot of minutia <laughs> that they have yeah. to wade through from on so many layers, you know, like if you peel back the layers of an onion, just from navigating technology in school, let alone, uh, culture and all the normal friendships and who are you finding figuring out who you are and then <laughs> social media that's a whole other yeah. conversation but yeah. yeah there's a lot on our kiddos there's a lot on our kiddos and on also on the parents and caregivers oh I mean, I yes can imagine you know what it takes i mean parenting is no easy feat in general and then so there's a lot <laughs> of things that you know parents today are and so that's really what i i believe that that th this conversation hopefully can help inspire and further conversations, um, you know, other books that are out there and just kind of keeping the momentum going because um, I do, one of the things I really think is important is that, you know, I often draw the parallels of, you know, I grew up in a family with active addiction. And one of the things that I, I kind of see a lot of similarities is that I was very intuitive as a young child. I was very, you know, I, I was very, cause I had to be that way. Mm -hmm. And, and so I, I learned very quickly that the things that I, I was noticing, no one else was talking about. So somehow they must be wrong or bad, or I shouldn't talk about this. And so that's really my hope with this conversation is that when kids, we, you know, they're so intuitive and they're so insightful and they're going through gender identity development, they're going through sexual orientation development naturally already. 
And, and they're looking for constant mirroring in the adults' lives that they're being cared for, for like a glimmer of like acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. And so my hope is that, you know, similar to my family of not talking about addiction, that really took a toll on me, you know, as an adult, like what that means in my relationships and, and how I kind of like um, learned to trust, you know, it was, it was a journey of learning to trust my own intuition because it was right the whole time. But I just mm-hmm. learned that, it, it, you know, I, I was, you know, not right. Or I was told, you know, right. Like so not confused right. you. So confused because no one was talking about it. And so my hope is that this conversation is a way that we can help kids who are going through these things normally and naturally, that we can just take away the shame and the stigma and some of the messages that we as adults, you know, just from our kind of generations um, picked up, you know, because my mom, you know, she comes from a generation where they didn't talk about anything. Right. They, didn't talk, they, they don't, they didn't talk about, you know, and so it was so taboo back then. Yeah. So she was only able to, like I said before, take me as far as she had, had gone in her life. And so, you know, I, I really do believe that this book is in a lot of ways, a spiritual book, because I do believe when I say spiritual, I mean, for me, it's about doing the work ourselves mm-hmm. before we can be, a, be of service to others. So true. And that applies to a much broader conversation of being a human than whether we are LGBTQ allies. Right. We need to do the work ourselves so that we can be of service to others. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's very beautiful and very profound. I love it. Mm, Thank you. So I believe it. I believe it to be true. I I believe it and I agree 100%. This has been a wonderful conversation and I hope that we have really uh, turned on some light bulbs of pondering and curiosity in the Mm -hmm. minds of my listeners because I am 100% and I bet you agree with me, I'm 100% certain that there is at least one, and I know it's more than one parent listening, who it's going to turn out that their child is in the LGBTQ community and they have no idea. Right. And they will find out. And if they can be prepared by having listened to this conversation between you and me, then maybe it makes that uh, announcement a little less startling, a little less traumatic for everyone. And it makes that process just a little bit more easy for that parent and that child. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I think, and even if their child isn't, they're going to play with the kid who is, they're going to know a child at school who is. And so this is really a way that we can help all kids help other kids feel seen and heard. And, and that's, that's what we, that's what we can do um, by helping have these conversations. And that's a really good point too. Thank you for pointing that out because if it's not their child, it could be their best, their child's best friend, yeah. or it could be their next door neighbor, or it could be their niece or nephew or a child yeah. in their family or whomever they come across, but they love and care for this child and then find out that they're in the LGBTQ community. So how can they just be, create, just create a more inclusive yes. life? Yeah. Just whoever the person is, just the person you meet walking down the street, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Would just create a better, kinder, gentler world. Yeah. By having yeah. these kinds of conversations. 
hundred percent. If I could just lastly, quickly share, I remember talking to my niece and nephew when they were in middle school, grade school or middle school. And I remember asking them if they had any LGBTQ kids at their school. And they, and they both said, no, I think there's, you know, one kid, but they're not, you know, they haven't completely like, they're not really sure. And, and I was like, out of your whole school, there's really no one who's LGBTQ. And they both were like, yeah, no. And I was like, well, so do you think that that out of all your school, there's no LGBTQ kids? Or do you think that maybe they're just don't, they don't necessarily feel completely safe to be who they are, to share that with everyone. And they thought for a second and they're like, yeah, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's true. And I was like, so, you know, what do you, why do you think that they wouldn't be feel safe or to, to be who they are at, at your school? And so we just, it turned into this really beautiful conversation with my niece and nephew who were at the time, I think, gosh, in middle school, you're probably like 11 or 12, mm -hmm. maybe um, years old and even younger. And, and we were just, and, and it, I could see the light bulbs in their eyes of like, oh, wow, there are kids right now at my school who are LGBTQ. And I don't know that. So what can I do to help even in conversations in the classroom or in the hallways where I'm kind of just with my words and what I say, helping create a space for a, a kid who is LGBTQ to kind of pick up on that. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what we get to do. Mm. That's beautiful. And just think of the ripple effect that your conversation with your niece and nephew has out to untold numbers of people because they may make a, f a child appear, feel comfortable and accepted that they will never even know it will right. never come up in conversation they will never know the positive influence or impact they had on on one of their peers and it's right. so beautiful to think right. of that yeah 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 it is so <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 grateful to be having these conversations and i think that that's that's the whole point is to do the ripple effects and that's how we make a better world right yes right. exactly <laughs> So I hope that everybody runs out and gets a copy of your book because I think it is, it, I almost feel like it should be required reading for parents just so that we are raising a generation of kids who will love and support each other no matter who they are or what they feel or believe or think. And it, <laughs> that's what we need in this world. So I think all parents should run out and get a copy of your book right away. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I, I agree as well. <laughs> so thank you. So where can people find your book and find out more about you and your work? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. The, the book is available anywhere books are sold. Um, so Amazon, um, Barnes and Noble, Goodreads, and they, they, they're welcome to go to my website. My website is a roadtriptolove.com. Mm. And my handle on social media, Twitter, Instagram is also the same, a road trip to love. Um, so they're welcome to find me there as well. That's a cool handle. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That's another podcast. You know, like that's, that's another interview. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very, very good. I love it. And I will come back to hear that story too. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Chris. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. And I hope that we've given, I feel like we've given my listeners some real value and some, some good food for thought yes. after they press stop on this conversation. Yes. So uh, thank you. It's been a lot of fun. And yes, I hope everyone you. runs out and gets your book. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was, it was wonderful to be here. 
So that wraps up today's episode. Wherever you are in this world, I hope that you make it a very eye-opening, curious, and welcoming day for yourself. Beautiful. That wraps up this episode of Powerful Parenting for Today's Kids. If you know anyone who could benefit from this episode or this podcast in general, please share it with them. Also, I always love hearing feedback from my listeners. I welcome you to send me an email to Aaron at Aaron-Taylor.com if you have any comments or questions that come up for you in an episode. Our children are our future. Parenting them is the most sacred task we will ever be asked to do. It truly does take a village to raise a child. Let's help each other to raise our children to be who it is they are meant to be. If at any point you feel like you need a little extra help and support, reach out to me. I am here to help you.